Hey everyone, and welcome back to a new episode of the Matcha Diaries, the podcast where your hosts Kara and Leo discuss a topic close to our hearts each week, or like in this case, interview an inspiring guest. This week we chat to Mallory Page under the Instagram handle at MalsFitKitchen. Mallory is an inspiring registered dietitian who uses her different social media platforms to help people all over the world to discover why they are struggling with disordered eating so they can heal forever. This was such a great conversation that just couldn't be condensed into one episode, so this is part one. In this episode, we discuss the toxic realities of social media platforms like TikTok and reveal how Mallory uses social media to counteract this toxicity and expose the realities of what we look like. Mallory even opens up about her experiences with orthorexia, fitness obsession, binge eating, and talks about how she navigates this when working with clients. She then reveals her discovery about recovery and the value of answering the why question. Why are you struggling and what are the reasons? Mallory provides some insights into how to answer this question, how it can be used as a way of healing and recovery, and so much more. We hope you enjoy this episode and as always, please send us a DM on Instagram to let us know your thoughts on the episode. Just to get us started, would you mind giving our listeners just a quick intro about yourself, just for people who may not know you yet? Of course. Well, I'm so excited to be here. My name is Mallory <laughs> Page. I run an Instagram account called Mouse Kitchen, but I'm also on different social media platforms, and that's how I'm connected with you all. And currently, I'm at a space in my life where I'm practicing in my own private practice as a dietitian, and I work with people that struggle with disordered eating, mostly sometimes borderline eating disorder as well, and kind of discovering the why of that they're struggling with that. Like, why are they struggling with that and how can we mm-hmm. help them to heal forever, not just for that brief moment in time? So that's kind of my mission and what I've always been so driven and excited to do. But it has changed throughout the years. I started when I wanted to become a dietitian all the way back in high school and I went through a whole journey to get to where I am now working with these women. So it's been very fun, but that's kind of a little bit about me. I live in Austin, Texas currently as well in the States. And we moved here actually like a year ago this week, which is so wild. Oh, wow. So just before the pandemic. Yes, one week before the pandemic. Like I moved. (sighs) Wow. I was trying to figure it out, which I need to go back into my phone memories But I think it was a year ago on Saturday, like this last Saturday, and then the pandemic hit the next, like, Sunday that everything started to shut down. Yeah. That's insane. What's it like moving to a new place and not having the chance to, like, discover it? Because I'm sure probably the first few months you were, I'm assuming you guys were in lockdown. Yeah, it was so strange. I loved being in Austin for the pandemic. I mean... Not that I love the pandemic, but loved being here because (laughs) you could go outdoors and there were so many things to do, quote unquote, without having to go to a restaurant or somewhere else like that. So I explored the city in a different way, which in some ways was kind of cool. But at the same time, I do have that kind of idea in the back of my head of yearning for what it once was. So Mm. it's definitely interesting that way. (laughs) 
Are things better now? Yeah, it's a lot more progressive here in terms of being able to go out to restaurants and stuff like that. But at the same time, it is such a warm place. So I think it's easier for us to do things because you can eat outside, you can be outside versus other places it's freezing. And so it's not as exciting, (laughs) but there are more things that are open, which is great, obviously, for like small businesses being able to at least still operate Mm. in a kind of capacity. What about your own clinic? Like, have you been doing Zoom sessions or have you been able to see clients in person? Yeah, I've always done virtual sessions, especially because the nature of my audience or there are a lot of people that are in Austin, but it's also very spread out and I wanted to be able to work with all different types of people. Plus starting my own business, I wanted to just see what it would be like starting it rather than going Mm -hmm. into having all this overhead that you have to undertake and getting the space and all of those different things. So I've done it all virtual and I launched only in October with my business full time. So it hasn't been too long, but virtual just seemed like it made the most sense, especially with all of the different avenues I do on social media, because then it's kind of streamlined versus, oh, sorry, I can't help you because you don't live near me. Yeah, I actually think that's really good. But yeah, how have you found the first few months of it? Because I guess it's now been what, five months? So almost half a year. Yeah, that's so crazy to think that it's almost in five months. You never think about it that way until you reflect back, but it's been more than I could have ever asked for. It's really always what I wanted to do, as I kind of said in my intro, but at the same time, there's just like any other person going through their young professional life, there's always older people that are going to tell you you can't, especially in a field like this. It's it's somewhat medically driven because you have to do clinical work and all of that, but it's also something mm-hmm. that's very up and coming on social media and it's a really easy way to connect with people. So you kind of have these two groups to battle about it and doing it and just taking the first step I think was the scariest part because <laughs> I have all these things in my head telling me, no, you're not good enough to do this. You need more experience. You need this and that. But at the same time, if you know you're helping people, it really doesn't matter. There aren't these things that you have to hit as long as you know you've done the work to actually be able to serve them. So all that being said, Mm -hmm. it's been really good and very fulfilling. And I've been so happy with the success of it, obviously, because I'm so grateful it can support me, but also just because it's so cool to get to help people and that the fact that more people want to be helped by me is such a gift. Yeah, it must be so rewarding. And also, I I can imagine with like maybe other people in the space, maybe older people, that could be tricky because obviously I feel like you have a more liberal and like progressive approach maybe than some of the people who might have been working as a dietitian or in that space for like a, a lot longer and then maybe have gone to school in a completely different area and in different era and haven't been on social media hearing all those (laughs) thoughts I don't know yeah I find that to be so true and that's why I also think there's always a time and a place for different people and that's why I always Mm -hmm. consult with people before I work with them because I want to make sure that they feel as good about working with me as I do about them and that it's a mutual benefit I have some people that I'm like you know I think you'd be better with this person and that's the beauty of having so many different practitioners but I also find most of the women I work with they're younger, they're either in college, even some almost about to graduate from high school, like 18 going into college, or they're young professionals. 
and they want someone to be able to relate to all of the different things we're seeing, even TikTok and Instagram, how social media affects you and all of that (laughs) different stuff. And so I think there's benefits to all the different stages and different practitioners for those stages. But that's the thing you have to talk yourself out of is this person telling you, oh, you can't do that until you have more experience. It's But at the same time, no, I'm serving a different audience than you. And both of those are valuable. So Mm -hmm. that is kind of an interesting phenomenon within, I think, multiple spaces, not just the nutrition space. And I think it's interesting you mentioned like TikTok and and the social media aspect of things, especially because it can be such a big place where that's where kids are confronted with their body image. And it's nice that, you know, you're creating that space where they can resort to social media as a more positive, like outlook where they can just see things that are more realistic which I think is so great like I'm loving that movement where everyone is trying to show the realities of it like I don't know if you've seen it on TikTok but there's like this trend where it's like okay social media is fake and let me show you why and they'll show them looking like really pretty with all these filters and then they'll start showing like the their stretch marks or like the hair on their face and like acne and stuff like that which I love like I love being exposed to that content and I think it's so important so it's good that you're putting out like all that online I think well, it's that's nice. sweet of you it's to great. say I'm so glad that you think of it that way in terms of my content I so agree because obviously I never judge anybody that uses a filter or different things like that but I think it's really important that there's people out there saying that this isn't real because otherwise girls yeah. start to and in men too but I just think about women because that's mostly who I speak to it's like literally 93% of my audience <laughs> so <laughs> um, it's it's just important that they know that other people don't look like that all the time and there's all these mm-hmm. angles that can go into it and different even I mean if you take it to the extreme there's even procedures that people get done that make them look a certain way and I think it's just important that we have people that are cutting through that especially on TikTok because I do think TikTok itself can be very toxic I get some of the saddest DMs about what really really young women are going through that come from that app because I think in that age group that's what they're seeing as like mainly their stuff. I mean, even when I grew up, it's like you were posting unfiltered pictures of yourself on Facebook. Like, I mean, it's just so different nowadays, I feel like. (laughs) That's so true. The Facebook photo era. Yeah. I was wondering on like the messages that you get from people um how does it like does it ever affect you in like a a negative way because obviously I'm sure I know in the obviously I know that you've maybe also struggled with like your own body image and eating patterns and I feel like we've all struggled with eating and body image to some degree and I can imagine that it could be quite hard like being confronted with so many messages about other people's like disordered thoughts or body image problems or do you ever find that like triggering or how do you navigate that it's funny because I whenever people ask me to intro myself I'm like how much should I of my story try to relay because you know those people that you listen to on a podcast not that this is bad but they give you like a 30 minute long intro and you're like <laughs> whoa okay like I know everything about you now but I did go through my own eating disorder journey so I ended up having orthorexia I also had fitness obsession and like essentially exercise addiction and I dealt with that from my junior year of high school all the way up until 
the thick of it my junior year of college. And it went through all different ebbs and flows of binge eating and all different stuff. So I have that as part of what helped me discover I wanted to Mm -hmm. work with women that had disordered eating. But at the same time, Mm -hmm. I was actually talking to someone over a DM today, which is so funny you asked this question because they're still kind of going through their recovery journey, but also wanting to work with clients in the future. And they were saying, how do you navigate that? And I said, unfortunately, you don't. You cannot work with people when you are not recovered. And you need to know you're fully recovered. Mm -hmm. People do it, but it's very detrimental to their mental health. And in the end, to the clients, even if they help incrementally, because I truly can listen to my clients or DMs like people telling me anything and it doesn't trigger an emotional response in me and in my journey because I'm very moved past that. Now it does sometimes tax me mentally because it's just so sad to see. Yeah. And that's the bigger Mm -hmm. thing. Even when I talk to my clients and they have an off week or an off day, that just like pulls on my heartstrings because I just know what that feels like in my past Mm -hmm. and I wish I could take that away from them like in that moment but it's a beautiful thing to actually be recovered and to feel like you don't listen to someone say something about food or their body or whatever it is and you feel personally triggered by that because otherwise you can't create a space with your client where they can truly share openly because they have to be aware of your feelings and unfortunately like you can't be like that as a practitioner. You have to be able to be open, in my opinion. I mean, everybody's different, but from what I've seen and success and learned, I think that's really, really important. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible. Like, so well done you. That's Because I, I think it's so difficult to fully recover. I think I saw stats, like, the other day of – I think it was an incredibly low percentage of women who fully recover from eating disorders. And that, like, that statistic alone, it just blew my mind of how permanent the damage can be that – I don't know if it, like that your brain inflicts on you permanently. Yeah. It's just so sad. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think it's really sad. It's just crazy because, and I, I wanted to say this because I didn't touch on it when you brought it up. I truly believe that almost every single woman and man in their own way struggle with disordered thoughts at some point in their life, especially women though. Mm-hmm. And I think it so often goes like, it gets sweeped under the rug because it's quote unquote normal, but it's just not. And that's so sad. And that's why I'm so passionate about what I've finally discovered about recovery. And what I discovered in myself is you can't just start eating foods and start exercising less and all of a sudden become better and never deal with the sort of thought again, which doesn't mean that I like love myself unconditionally. And I think I'm like so amazing. Like I still have down days, but it's also... <laughs> Like, why? Like, what is a deeper reason for you that you're struggling? And that's what you have to find out, which that's why we have amazing comprehensive Mm -hmm. care teams for people in treatment that need that. But otherwise, when I was looking to heal myself and I just tried to do it with adding foods and different things, it doesn't work because I was still struggling with underlying perfectionism and tendencies that I needed to show my worth in the ways of control and all of this different stuff. And when you can't break down that, you can never get to that deeper reason and that feeling of healing yourself and recovering. So, Because I keep thinking of this from my own experience. So like you saying, you have to find that deeper reason, like why? And I'm just like, I'm so I'm trying to think back at my experiences and I can 
I think for me, it always had to do with comparison, less than me having my own issues. Like, I think that was a main cause of me just doubting myself because I was always looking to other people. And then also just hearing comments from others. So it's more, I think for me, it was always about having to prove myself to the people around me, which um, I guess that could be a cause in itself. But for people that the causes are just because of internal reasons rather than external reasons, like how do... Is that harder to navigate than people having disorders because of like external comments that people have made or or aspects like that? That's quite a big question. No, no, I think it's a (laughs) good one. And I think it's it's cool that that's like where you went to in your journey because I think that's always the first step. I always Mm. just say that just looking at the why is the hardest first step (laughs) because it's easier to look at all the external things and be like, oh, it's because of this or that. But when we start to reflect internally and see... And it is really hard because, you know, I think things expose themselves to us when we're ready for it. And that's, I think, the beauty of working with someone is they can kind of gauge where you're at. And that's always what I do with my clients. But there are some times when it is it is much more internally driven and there's these standards that they set. And it is harder because... You almost have to reconvince yourself that you deserve trust, you deserve love, and that's really hard to do, but you can tie that up to these things that are more physical, like showing yourself love is eating throughout the day, right? That's just an example, but it is hard because everybody's journey is so different, and although there can be themes, as a practitioner, there's so many mm-hmm. times where I know there's something else, but you can't push it until that person is ready. Um, so I don't know. I think that's like the crazy journey of just discovering yourself regardless of whether you're going through an eating disorder or not. It's finding those deeper reasons, which can also be done with a therapist as well. So I could go on and on about the question. I don't know if that answered it well, (laughs) and I can dive deeper too. I love this. Yeah. I feel like because that's exactly what I've been (laughs) trying to find out is like the deeper, the deeper route, because we did our first like episode on body image I think back when we started the podcast, like in October, November or something. And yeah. I remember yeah. that's when I was kind of more waking up to the fact that, oh, maybe I was struggling more now than I thought I was because I was like, oh, no, I'm fully fine. You know, like that's all in my past. And then I was like, oh, actually, I think some of the deeper reasons have bled into like other areas of my life as well. So it's kind of like they mm-hmm. manifested themselves in other issues that I was having so clearly. And it's just like all one root cause but and I was wondering from like your perspective like how did you go about like finding out okay what is this root cause because I mean that's personally something that I want to know as well because I've got some like suspicions on like what my (laughs) root cause is but I'm like still trying to find it (laughs) yeah it's it's such a confusing thing I love how you said that though that they all bleed into each other and also bleed out at the same time it's like Mm. it's like they're all this like little interconnected system that can seem like they're not but then they all are and I find that to be so true in my own journey and in my clients journeys and so I think the thing that I've found is I always say that the deeper reason manifests into these other physical presenting reasons like whether that be body image or exercise or food, right? And when you start to strip those things away, those are kind of like your safety blankets. Like they're the things that make you feel comfortable. And when you start to take those away, you start to expose the things that make you feel uncomfortable and the real reasons why you're struggling, right? 
So like, that's for me, when I say I've recovered from my eating disorder and my exercise, I did, but the deeper reasons I'm still working through right now, even with the therapist, because, and I can even see now how I wish I would have just gone to a practitioner and <laughs> done this work before. Cause I did my whole long drawn out, drawn out journey for many years instead of just talking to someone. Um, But what I started to discover is it's like, how does your family affect you and these deeper things that happen when you're a kid and they transfer all the way up to now, which is wild, but it's so, so true. And if it's helpful that I can give like an example or something like that, I really can. But I would say that the biggest thing for me was starting to take away all these safety blankets to start to understand what was truly making me uncomfortable about myself. And then starting to learn about why I was uncomfortable about those things. And the whole process started to kind of come together in my mind. So let me know if that makes any sense. I feel like it makes, it sounds really confusing when I say it. So an example may be helpful, but (laughs) that's kind of how I view it. I mean, we were, we were curious to know, like, if there are common deeper reasons that you've seen through your experiences with clients. So maybe if you give an example of that, it might help, like... Yeah, I know. I think because it literally doesn't make sense. I always give an example when people ask me how to do it. So like, for example, (laughs) a lot of what I see is people that struggle with like either healthy, like obsession with healthy food, orthorexia or restriction, right? And same with exercise. What it gives them whenever they think about the surface level reason is it gives them control. They want to be able to control their environment because controlling things makes them feel safe. And when they're out of control. They feel like they don't know what's going to happen. It's this unknown. So a lot of what I see is when you start to go deeper into the reasons, it's typically because they grew up in an environment where they felt like perfectionism was really important. Whether that be because they felt like they weren't accepted by their family or because they felt like they had a very tumultuous childhood where they had to give a lot and they essentially learned In order to be accepted, I need to always do my best and always put up this front that's very perfect. And that's a huge thing is perfectionism, um, is what I see as like a root cause. And so because of that idea, they, they present this in all areas of their life. So typically people that struggle with especially EDs and like restriction, like orthorexia, they have, they want to have perfect grades. They want to put, look perfect with their friends. They want to be able to make sure that their body looks a certain way and that their exercise is the best and all of it goes mm-hmm. together like this. And so when you get to that deeper reason, it's because they felt like being themselves and just presenting as themselves a lot of time, they didn't feel like they were worthy of love. Like they, if they were just them, they were shown when they were younger that that wasn't enough. And so that feeling is what translates all the way back up to this idea of like, okay, so I need to control every single thing I do in terms of food and all of this so that my body is perfect so that when people look at me, I present as this perfect image that no one can penetrate. And I know that if I'm doing this, I can count on myself. No one else can affect me. And this is my thing that I get to have. And so I think that's the biggest theme that I see. And I related to that a lot in my, my whole journey as well. And I had to break down this idea Mm -hmm. that if I didn't have the quote unquote smallest body, or if I wasn't eating everything that was perfectly healthy or whatever it was that I still was deserving of love. And that was really hard for me because I feel like I have to be perfect to be loved. 
So that's kind of an example of what I see in a like convoluted way. But let me know if that makes sense at all. Mm -hmm. That makes so much sense. I was like thinking whilst you were saying that so much of that hits home for me as well. And I think that's a lot of I find it always so interesting Like the more we do the podcast as well, the more I'm realizing how so many of us deal with like the same underlying issues. And I find it funny because Mm -hmm. especially with like social media comparison, you can look at other people and you think that, oh, you're the only person dealing with certain things. But then you actually have conversations like these and you realize like, oh, if you look underneath (laughs) the surface, we're all so much more similar. Yeah, it's so crazy. I even I think that was a cool thing about working with clients is it made me feel less crazy and that's what they say to me they're like I don't feel like I'm just like pulling these things out of thin air now I feel more understood that this is something that happens and that's why the cool thing as a practitioner too is you get more and more confident not that you guess that someone's journey is going to be that because every person I work with is so different but also you start to recognize we're all going through this struggle the same way especially I think in the Gen Z and millennial, like, whole, what era, I don't even know what to call that, because we have so much pressure, and there's so many standards set out to us by society to look a certain way, to, like, do certain things, and this hustle culture idea, and it transfers into every area of our lives, and it's just crazy, I think, to see all of the (laughs) synergies that I see amongst different stories, And it helps you learn more about yourself too, which just like what you're saying with the podcast, I think is so cool about the social media space that you can learn from other people's journeys. And I feel like I learned from all of my clients too, because they have realizations and revelations that are even helpful to me or remind me of things, maybe not just within food, but more within their own journeys of like self-discovery. terms of like synergy and everyone kind of experiencing the same thing is that would you say that's the main reason you started your Instagram to kind of create that community where people can feel like they belong and they have others that relate to them or maybe if there's another reason like I'd love to know what your thought process was I love that you said that now because I feel like that's more of how I would look at it now and I wish that's the forethought that I had going into it in the beginning because I feel like I started my first Instagram when Instagram really wasn't even a big thing for like food. It was in 2015 and I was going into my freshman year of college. I was, well, I was in my senior year of high school going into my freshman year of college, but I ended up deleting that account. Um, I think, when did I do it? I think it was 2018. Oh my gosh. I always get the timeline wrong. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, how is it 2021? What is going on? And so (laughs) I'm like, what time is it anymore? Uh, So I ended up deleting that account because I was like, there's no engagement on this account. It's not a community. And that was something I was wanting. I was wanting to feel like people could come and feel engaged with it. Um, But when I went into it, I was kind of just sharing, you know, very similar things to what other people do recipes and workouts and different things. And I feel like I didn't have the clear vision and I knew that I wanted it to be something, but I didn't know what I wanted it to be. And I didn't feel like, honestly, it was until this year, which I think has been now two years that I've had the account. Yeah. 
that I feel like I started to finally find it. Maybe, well, I guess not just this year, 2020, like halfway through 2020, when I started to move away from more of a focus on food and talking about other things to really talking about disordered eating things that people don't talk about, even just being unfiltered Mm -hmm. in the midst of so many filtered people, um, as you were saying earlier. And I think that's when I started to figure out that it is just about the community. That is what makes it so special. Connecting with these people is what makes it so amazing. I feel like that was a very long-winded answer to what you were asking, so I'm very sorry. (laughs) No, it's so nice. (laughs) No, it's so nice. And I, I love how you said, you know, you're kind of wanting to bring light to things that aren't really spoken about. And I've noticed that through your feed, like, especially with the focus on bloating. I've only seen one at least personally with my uh, like mm-hmm. social media whatever um i've only seen one other influencer uh talk about bloating and like really addressing it because at least me like when i look online i i've always felt like i was the only one that looked completely different at night versus in the morning and there's always that feeling when you wake up and you're like oh i'm sk- i'm skinny in the morning and it's like well that's just normal your body changes as soon as you put food in it like your body is gonna change so is there a reason why bloating was such a big or is such a big part of your instagram or what made you kind of have that focus i think it's so important to talk about bloating because it stands for so much more than what we think it does it also doesn't have to but it can because in Mm -hmm. in ed recovery being recovery from disordered eating if I could spit that out goodness um basically (laughs) a lot of the time you'll go through severe bloating almost all the time because you basically took out foods and Mm -hmm. to get scientific with it right when you take out foods you're going to decrease your gastric motility and when you do that then it slows down food passing through your digestive tract and so then when you put new foods in that your GI tract isn't used to it's going to cause bloating right so that's why I actually started to mm-hmm. talk about bloating was because I was dealing with it in my own recovery um that was like very much towards the end of when I was starting my account but still it was still something I was dealing with and still figuring out throughout the time and then the response to it was just so insane that I realized it was such an important thing to talk about because a lot of the time women take bloating as so many different things than it is like Bloating, some people think that it's because they're full and they actually feed themselves the right amount and that's being bloated. Some people feel like Mm -hmm. their body just changes throughout the day and that's bloating. Some people have horrible extreme bloating that needs to be checked out and then they won't go do it because they don't want to talk about it. And so regardless of what it is, I just think there needs to be this conversation to not necessarily normalize it because some people do deal with bloat that isn't normal and that's unfortunate but to make more Mm -hmm. people understand that this is a common thing that happens and no matter what type of bloating you're dealing with you deserve to figure out why because it is trying to show you something your body is trying to tell you something and we're just ignoring it because we don't feel like we deserve to talk about it because it's not talked about in society Mm -hmm. and we all just sit quietly and then deal with pain or or mental discomfort and that's a horrible thing yeah it's much easier to just disregard it than actually figure out why or like what's causing it which so i I totally get that i've um in many situations in my life i've if i don't understand something sometimes it's easier than having to actually face it and figure out why 
things are the way they are so yeah I get that I just wanted to know as well because obviously you gave like a very brief snapshot of your own journey with it and I'm sure I think it's interesting that I guess you started your Instagram at probably different points of your journey and it probably changed with that as well but I mean I would love to hear if if you're comfortable sharing like a bit more detailed about what your own process and journey was and like how you've gotten to the place that you are today yeah of course so when I it is kind of a crazy thing because it can go on for so long but I'll try to make it condense into the point which I as you guys can tell I'm not always good at because I'll talk in circles but we're not either (laughs) when I started uh it really did I obviously I had had bloating throughout my life I mean every single person will deal with bloating through their life but it started to get more extreme and also more painful which is indicative of more serious bloating what it is painful and so I started to take notice of that during my recovery journey and it was a really big hindrance because it's very unmotivating and very challenging because what I find is people will think that they're doing something wrong. And so you're incorporating these new foods and you think that those foods are why you're becoming bloated, which they are, but not for the reason you think. That doesn't mean you should take them out. That means that you should keep putting them in so your body gets used to them because you had restricted them and your GI tract is getting used to them. So this is a big sticking point in recovery, which is why I'm so passionate about it too and creating awareness about it because not everybody talks about it. So when I started going through that, I kind of went through that discovery on my own of realizing that it was because of this recovery process through my own research and all of those things and fighting against that and then even having to deal with yet again having to take out foods because of actual GI issues so then I had to take out dairy for a long time because of that which was frustrating because I was going through recovery Mm -hmm. and felt like I made all this progress and then you feel like you've opened up all these foods and now you have to take something out and that's a hard process because you feel like you've worked so hard to become at peace with that so that was very interesting but also Mm -hmm. empowering as I started to figure it out along the way that I could do that for that short period of time and then be comfortable with adding it back in and that was really big for me so then throughout the different years of figuring that out which I don't want to say years because that seems very long but I'm just saying it was a process that took time that I don't have a specific timeline for I got to a place where finally my bloating was better and then it would all of a sudden just act up and now it was nothing to do with new foods or with dairy or whatever it was and it would come randomly and I was so confused And this is when I figured out the role that stress plays in bloating. Whether that stress be around a food rule that you still haven't quite let go of or that's just in your day-to-day life, I started to recognize these things affect us immensely because of our mind-body connection and how if we're constantly in our fight-or-flight state, our blood is literally shuttled to our fight-or-flight limbs, like our arms, our legs, and away from our rest and digest digestive tract. And so then it felt like this whole other journey that kind of led me onto my own self-exploration of, okay, so why am I so stressed out? What are these last few food rules that I need to work through? But also, how can I start to figure out why I have these insane standards in my life that I think I need to live up to that are self-inflicted? And so... That was another thing, which is why I think that the interesting thing about bloating, ED recovery, all of it is a manifestation of our inner self. And that's why I'm always mm-hmm. honing in on this. And people are probably like, can you stop? We get it. It's enough. But 
<laughs> that's kind of how it is now. So now when my bloating flares up, it's almost always due to stress. Or of course, like I wear pants that are too tight or I don't know, you have a carbonated drink and your stomach isn't ready for the bubbly or whatever it is. Like there's all these little reasons that we can go into, but the bigger constant reasons were yeah. those. That's so cool. I, I mean, I love that you like kind of went through the journey yourself of finding all of this out and then it probably makes it a lot easier for you to then relate to others that are on a similar journey. I don't know, what do you feel like have been like the biggest healers for you personally when it came to, I mean, even like it's easier said than done just saying like, okay, what are those last few food rules that I have to get rid of? But then actually, you know, because I feel like there's a, eating disorder aren't rational or body image isn't rational because like we're all very, you know, I feel like most people that struggle with it are like intelligent, capable humans that rationally know that something isn't based in science or isn't good for them but then for some reason like emotionally you still fall into these traps and yeah like live by these rules yeah it was so much of the things that I feel like can sound so cliche which is why it's always hard but outside of obviously I think going to a therapist or talking to a practitioner is really important a therapist ended up helping me exponentially and even I went back to therapy recently, which therapy doesn't have to mean that you like are like going through this crazy amount of stress or trauma. It's just like wanting to discover more about yourself, mm-hmm. which I think we need to debunk. The same with dietitians. Yeah. Going to a dietitian doesn't mean you have a horrible relationship with food or you have to want to do something to your body or change. It just means like you want to do some work to make sure you're at a good place. But I think that was very helpful to me, but also finding things that I truly loved outside of the more external. So for me, I based so much of my worth and what my body looked like and what food I ate and how I exercised. And all of those things are great until you base your worth in them. Um, And especially work for me. Work is another huge thing that I still work on. But it's like, how do you find the things that you actually love outside of that? Which for me, it was like, okay, I'm going to start doing meditation because it's time that I need to take for myself. But that doesn't have to be what you do. It can be journaling. It can be taking up a new hobby. It can be making sure that you take time to actually connect with people. It can be getting rid of toxic people in your life that are not supporting your journey. It can literally be anything that makes you feel more in tune with who you really are and I think when you do that you start to realize that all of these facades and fake mechanisms of control that we try to have like what our body looks like or what we eat or how we exercise they really don't mean anything because they don't define the inner part of you And I think when you start to figure those things Mm -hmm. out that you really value, even if that's like podcasting or starting an Instagram or whatever it is, I feel like I could go down a laundry list of things, but I think that is (laughs) where the magic really starts to happen. And that's what I've seen in my clients too. I've had clients that I thought I would have to work with for a year, transform in three months because they took it into every aspect of their life and it was so cool to see. And I was just like along for the ride of being there to just support them. But there's some people that can just do it. And when they figure it out and it clicks, mm-hmm. it's just the coolest thing to watch. I was not that quick. I took quite a long time. <laughs> but, I mean, I think that's the, the gist of what really helped me the most. 
That's so interesting. I love that. I just love like hearing the combination of like your experience and then hearing it like confirmed with like people that you've seen. But yeah, Cara, I'm gonna I'm gonna shut up now. I feel like I've been asking too much. <laughs> no, it's fine. I I just saw something uh, earlier today and I like when I first saw it, I was like, yes, I freaking love this. Like this is iconic. But then now having this conversation, I'm like, wait, but is it really iconic? Um and it's basically I saw a post and it was it was like you know, if you eat really healthy and if you exercise every day and if you wake up early and if you sleep the right amount of time, you know we're still gonna die. And I was like, that's so true. <laughs> but also, but now having this conversation, I'm thinking, but we shouldn't tell people, you know, like don't eat healthy yeah. and don't wake up early and don't do do this thing. So like, there's the mix of of like promoting positive uh, outlooks on your life versus going like the complete other end so I was just wondering when you're trying to communicate this to your clients or, or to your people where it's like don't put so much energy onto your body image how do you say it without it going the complete opposite direction if that's oh my gosh that makes, that makes so much sense this idea is actually so important so I'm glad that you brought it up I've also seen that TikTok and it's hilarious but <laughs> I think because yeah. I think that's really important and I think the really interesting thing about nutrition or anything is there I really do feel like right now we are at a place where there are two extremes and like much less people in the in-between like what we see on social media Mm -hmm. especially is like okay maybe there there are people over here that feel like they don't want to do anything for their health and obviously we know that's not helpful like you you want to take care of yourself But at the same time, we have people that are obsessed with their health and their body, and that's also not healthy. Mm -hmm. And I actually find so much of the time, both groups are afraid of the same thing because they're afraid of getting what they think defines them taken away. So like the people over here, they feel like if you make them eat a vegetable, they're like, oh my gosh, like, no, like you're trying to change everything that I enjoy in my life. And like, that is what makes me happy, Mm -hmm. blah, 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 right? And then the people over, and they think they're going to have to go to this group where they're like obsessed with health and work out every day and all this stuff. (laughs) But then the people over here feel like Mm -hmm. if you make them eat a donut, you're taking away everything that defines them because they, they basically think of themselves as health and they're working on their life. And like, we really just need this in between and the balance. Yeah. The balance, the all inclusive word that we're all searching for (laughs) really. And so I think that's the interesting thing about it is I actually do really have to explain to my clients so much. They have this fear that if they start taking any steps to move to the middle, that they're going to go to the extreme because they think all in or all out. Perfectionism is either you get the A plus or you fail. Nothing, there's nothing in between. And so you have to explain just because you do these things, eat these foods, exercise less, does not mean that you move to this other side where you don't care at all what you do. Mm -hmm. It's you're moving in steps towards the middle. So I love that idea and that you brought that up. Yeah, it's really good. I think you explained that really well. And I think a lot of people will relate to that. 